0: This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. We're going to be looking at the death of Jesus. And all that that means, we're going to see darkness. Darkness is going to come over all the land at his death. Why? Why? There's a a cry that he's going to give on the cross. What's that cry about? We're going to see a curtain torn. We're going to hear a confession as we look at the death of Jesus Christ. This passage is the climax of the Gospel of Mark. We've been journeying in the Gospel since August. This is the high point. This is the climax of human history. The death of Jesus and the death of Jesus is going to proclaim some powerfully good news for us today. So let's pray. Ask God to help us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are present. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear you through your word. Through your Holy Spirit, come, set this time apart. Help us to think through and see your death and all that that it means. And help it capture our hearts. Help us receive the good news that is here. So bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. So we've been... Following Jesus through through his final week. And so I want us to take a look at where we are um, just to give you the context. If you look up on the screen, you'll see a picture of Jerusalem. This brown part is Jerusalem at the time of Jesus. And during this this series, we've looked at again his final week. And we started with the Passover that he celebrated in the Essene corner quarter of Jerusalem, right here. And he celebrates a Passover feast and uh, that's where he institutes communion. And he dis- he surprises everybody and says that he is the Passover lamb. He is the, the Passover lamb who's going to not just deliver Israel out of slavery in Egypt, but will deliver all people from slavery of, of sin and death. And so we remember that event. Then after that, They celebrated, they sang a hymn and went and walked through the Kidron Valley and prayed in the the Mount of Olives and went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that's where he prayed, in Gethsemane. And we learn that the Gethsemane is an olive press. And an olive press is a large stone that presses down upon the grapes and the juice squeezes out. And it's in that garden when Jesus feels the weight of the world, just like an olive press, squeezing down upon him. He was even sweating blood. And it's there that Judas kisses him and betrays him. And after that, he is taken, and all the disciples desert him, except for Peter at this point, then they take him to Caiaphas's house, and that's where he is on trial on an, in an illegal trial in the middle of the night. Before the chief priest and the high priest is there, and Peter is there, and that's when Peter denies him and even curse, sends curses upon Christ. After that, in the morning, they send him over to Pilate. And we into the Antonio Fortress. And that's where we saw the five questions. And Pilate asked Jesus, uh, if, Is he the king of the Jews? Jesus says, I'm the king, but not like any other king. And then we saw the release of Barabbas and how Jesus is the innocent one who releases the guilty, sets them free. Uh, but he's innocent. We saw that at the Antonio Fortress. And so afterward... Uh, they, the soldiers, actually it was a battalion, about 500 soldiers come around Jesus. They mock him. They put a purple robe on him, a uh, crown of thorns. They, they uh, hit him in the face. They spit on him. They, they mock him saying, oh, hail the king of the Jews. And uh, about 500 of these soldiers are there. And finally they send him out to crucify him. And uh, it, it was right outside of the city gate, more than likely right here. It may have been over here as well. And that's where this takes place. So Mark chapter 15, starting in verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, with all this detail, he must have been a famous person in the early church later, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. And they crucified him and divided his garments among them, casting lots on them, to decide what each should take. And it was the third hour, that is 9 a.m., when they crucified him, and the inscription of the charge against him, the charge that was taken to the Roman governor Pilate, the king of the Jews that was right on the cross. And with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Ah! You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. You see, when Jesus was on trial before the council, false witnesses accused Jesus of saying that he was going to destroy the temple in Jerusalem, but he was actually talking about the temple of his body that was going to be destroyed and raised in three days. So it was a false accusation that they were mocking him with. He didn't even say it. So also the chief priests I mean, think about this, the chief priest, that would have been the Sanhedrin, the the 70 most powerful shepherds of Israel, the pastors, the chief priests, and the Bible scholars, the scribes, they were there too, mocking him to one another, saying, he saved others, he can't save himself. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down from the cross that we may see and believe. Those who were crucified with him also reviled him. And now we come to his death. And when the sixth hour, that is 12 noon, had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. That's 3 p.m. And at the ninth hour, at 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said behold he's calling Elijah because the Aramaic sounded like Elijah is he calling Elijah and someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink saying wait let's see whether Elijah will come to take him down and Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last And the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. And when the centurion, who stood facing him, saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, and would you say with me, truly, this man was the Son of God. The death of Jesus. We just read about the crucifixion and death of Jesus. So, today, what I want to do is I want to look at four elements that took place during the death of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Four elements that will help us understand the meaning of his death. We're going to take a look first at the darkness that came upon the land. The darkness. Second, we're going to take a look at the cry, this loud cry, Jesus cries. Third, we're going to take a look at the curtain, and then fourth, it will lead us into a confession. So let's take a look at these one at a time. The darkness. When it was 12 noon, when, when the sixth hour, that is 12 noon, had come, there was What? Darkness over the whole land until 3 p.m. For three hours, darkness came over the whole land. Darkness at midday. What is this all about? Now, some, some people try to explain the darkness away and say it was caused by natural phenomenon. Some say it, was, it may have been caused by a solar eclipse. But the problem is a solar eclipse would only last about 7.5 minutes at most. I have personally seen a solar eclipse and it was about a few minutes. But a solar eclipse could not have happened anyway because it was the Passover feast. And the Passover feast happens on the full moon. So a solar eclipse could not have happened during a full moon. Some... People say, well, maybe the darkness of the land came because of a sandstorm, which do sandstorms happen in that part of the world, and it can, they can darken a whole area of land. But a sandstorm could not have happened because yet again, it was the Passover feast. The Passover feast happens in the wet season, and so the sand, sandstorms would not have come. The darkness was not caused by a natural phenomenon. It was an extraordinary phenomenon caused by God. Darkness came over the whole land. Darkness came. In the Bible, darkness is symbolic. Darkness is a symbol of God's judgment against sin and evil. And we see this all the way back in the Exodus story when God delivered them out of Egypt. The ninth plague is the plague of what? Darkness. It's a plague. It's a judgment that came upon Egypt. It was a plague, a a, a judgment of darkness. It's God's judgment. The darkness came upon the land helps us understand that God's judgment on the land is happening on the cross. That's the meaning of the darkness. God is judging the sins of the world on the cross. And when we understand the symbol of the darkness, then we can look at the cry. The cry. At the ninth hour, that is 3 p.m., Jesus cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Forsaken me. Forsaken means to leave behind, means to be abandoned or to cut off or to separate oneself from forsaken my god my god why have you separated yourself from me why would jesus say that now notice he notice what he does not say jesus could have said my body my body why have you forsaken me he could have cried out about leaving his physical body separating from the physical body he could have cried out my people my people why have you forsaken me because it was his own people who crucified him cried out crucify him they had abandoned him the people why didn't he say that he could have said my leaders my leaders why have you forsaken me remember the high priest the chief priest the religious leaders condemned him to death they were the ones who condemned him they cut him off why wouldn't he cry out my leaders Or my government. He could have cried that out. Pilate certainly forsook him. He crucified him even though he knew he was innocent. He could have cried out, My friends, my friends, why have you forsaken me? Because they all, all of them, abandoned abandoned him. But he doesn't cry out about being separated from any of these. Darkness came upon the land. means that God's judgment against the sins of the world, came upon Jesus at the cross, and sin separates us from God. So he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me for the first time? The eternal Son, living in perfect love with the eternal Father, why have you left me? It's a cry of separation. At his death, Jesus is separated from God the Father. And we all understand this cry because separation causes pain. Let me try to illustrate how separation causes pain. I mean, on a physical level, I remember when I broke both bones in my leg, I separated the bones. It was and it was excruciating pain but that kind of pain cannot relate to the pain of relational separation and you can all groan if you want we know that when a baby is separated from its parents at birth that the baby suffers trauma they have studied this they've studied the brain of an infant that has been separated it function the functions slower that ba- that that separation is a trauma when a child experiences a separation from their parents there's a trauma that happens and stays with that child As adults many of us have experienced separation from as a husband and a wife one of the most painful experiences that a human can go through is the separation of a loved one through death or divorce or the slow distancing and separation that happens over time It's painful It's painful when a friend abandons us. Separation is painful. So what causes separation? I mean, think about it even within relationships. Isn't it sin? Isn't it? simply wrongdoing whether intentional or unintentional someone wrongs you you get angry about it you want this you want that you talk behind their back there's a separation that happens it's sin and so because on the cross Jesus is taking on the sins of the world, he too is separ- he too must then be separated from his heavenly Father. He's separated because of it. Jesus is experiencing a real abandonment from God as he takes on the sins of the world because sin separates and it's incredibly painful. Think about it. Jesus was experiencing the painful loss of the greatest love that has ever been for the first time, he's experiencing separation from the eternal, living, loving, wonderful love of God the Father. So he cries, my God, why? Why the separation? And we, when we understand the cry, the cry of abandonment and the pain of separation, when we feel the pain of that, then we can truly celebrate the good news of the curtain. The curtain. Jesus uttered a loud cry and he breathed his last. And what does it say? The curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top. To the bottom. Now, let me show you the curtain in the temple. If you look up on the screen, you'll see a picture of the temple in Jerusalem. And I want you to notice in the temple there are various courts, various rooms, various sections. And each of these sections has barriers, boundaries, or separations. Some people are cut off, literally. There are separations from what is at the heart, which is in in the Holy of Holies, is the presence of God. God's glory is presence. And so if you look up on the screen, you'll see this little barrier, the separation. And this outer court here is what's called the court of the Gentiles. And what that means is that anyone who is not Jewish. So if you're Jewish, you can come in here. But you can't if you're not. It's a barrier, and in fact, on that barrier is a sign that says, if you choose to come in, you are choosing to die. We, you will be killed. That's quite a separation. So the Gentiles were separated. They could, could only come until here, and you'll notice there are different courts. If you look up on the next, the screen in the next slide, you'll see that this is the women's courtyard. The women were allowed to come up into here, but then there was a separation, a barrier, then the men were able to come into the courtyard where, there was, where the sacrifices took place. But then here is the temple itself. And on the next screen you'll actually see kind of a picture from where the boundary of the women's court is. And you can see the altar where they did the sacrifices. And you can look into the holy place. But you can't see the Holy of Holies because there is a curtain right here that you, where you can't enter into. On the next screen, you'll see a picture of the temple itself. And so the, the men were bounded here. Only the priests could go into the, the holy place. But in front of the holy place is the altar of incense. But there is something that separates from the Holy of Holies. And that's this curtain the curtain in the temple. It's a curtain that separates us from the glory of God, from the presence of God, because of sin. What is the curtain? It's simply the curtain is what separates us from God's presence. Now I want to, well actually before I look at the curtain on the next screen, you'll see actually only one time a year can the high priest go behind that curtain Hopefully on the next screen you'll see a picture of the high priest in the Holy of Holies. Now only the high priest could go once a year and his leg was tied with a rope in case he did anything wrong or brought any sin and would die in the presence and then would be carried out. So that's the curtain. Now the curtain, just to give you a sense of the scale, the curtain behind me is about 45 feet wide. So the curtain in the temple is 30 feet wide and it would have been... 60 feet high. So if you look up to the top of the ceiling, that's about 50 feet. So imagine six, 10 more feet on top of that, 30 feet wide. That's how that's the scale of this. And it was about 12 inches thick, about a foot thick. It was more, more of a wall than it was a curtain. And it's that curtain that separated us from the presence of God. And what happened on the cross is that, that Jesus, when he breathed his last... He takes on that separation so that we no longer have to and that curtain is torn in two once and for all and just in case you're wondering who tore it it's torn from the top to the bottom what does it mean for you and for me it means that nothing Nothing, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. Nothing, nothing can ever separate you from the presence and the glory of God. Because of Jesus' death on the cross, you and I have access to the presence of God. Come as you are. But you might say, well, you don't know me. I can't get close to God. You don't know what I've done. And I say, hear the good news. The curtain is torn in two. And now we can come and experience God's presence all the time, anytime, forever and forever. And that leads us to the climax. The climax. Do you know what the high point of this gospel is? It's the confession of the centurion. And when the centurion who had stood facing Jesus saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly, truly, certainly, this man is the Son of God. Imagine the centurion is standing face to face. He is right there, face to face with Jesus. And when he sees how Jesus dies, the the darkness that had come, the cry of Jesus Christ, and the curtain that was torn, after he saw how Jesus dies, the curtain in front of the centurion's eyes was torn. And he said, Truly, I can see. You are the Son of God. Think about it. No human confessed Jesus was the Son of God until the centurion confessed. The gospel of Mark begins and ends with the Son of God. In the beginning, Mark 1, 1 says, In the beginning, the gospel of Jesus, the Son of God. But only God and evil spirits confessed him as the Son of God. Only God and evil spirits. God at his baptism and transfiguration. This is my beloved son. Evil spirits. Whenever evil spirits saw him, they cried out, You are the son of God. But no human confessed him as the son of God. Think about that. The disciples... They were right there with him. They never confessed him as the son of God. The religious leaders certainly didn't. When, the, when Jesus was before the high priest, the high priest actually asked him, are you the son of the blessed? Jesus says, I am. And so what did they do? They condemned him to death right away. You're not. The government leaders, they couldn't see him. It was a non-Jew A person who couldn't even get through the first barrier of the temple. A non-Jew was the first to proclaim Jesus as the Son of God. And not just any non-Jew, a centurion. Do you know what a centurion is? It's a man in charge of a hundred soldiers. Now, centurions were selected differently than any other military uh, position. So typically, a military position or a political position these were appointed in other words if you knew someone who knew pilot you were going to get a position not so with the centurions they were selected differently centurions were actually enlisted soldiers who rose through the ranks and the reason they rose through the ranks the reason they were chosen as centurions is because of their brutality There were men who did not question, there were men who executed on order, they didn't talk about it, they did it, these were the brutal men, these were the ones who killed best. And here's a centurion, not just any centurion, in charge of Roman executions on a cross, how many thousands of people had he Personally killed, or thousands had he seen personally with his own eyes up front, die. Centurions were hard-hearted, hardened killers. But when the curtain was torn in two, the curtain in front of this hard-hearted man's eyes was torn into two. And he could see truly. Jesus, you are the Son of God. Wow. When you were, came into the service, you're given a black piece of paper. I'd like you to take this out because I'd like us to, to join the centurion. So there was a, a veil in front of the centurion's eyes. And this black paper is going to serve as a reminder of the veil and the curtain. So I want us to experience this. So if you didn't get a black piece of paper, don't worry. You can use your hands or you can use a bulletin. And I'd like you right now to just put this black piece of paper in front of your eyes. And just take a moment and experience what it's like how does it feel to be separated and in a moment I'm going to ask you to rip the black paper that's in front of your eyes from top to bottom in a moment so in a moment I'll count to three One, two, three. It is finished. It is done. There's nothing in the way. And now we can come to communion. The curtain in front of our eyes has been torn. The curtain has already been torn. And now we can proclaim what this meal proclaims. It proclaims his death. Because it was on the night before Jesus died, the night that he was betrayed, that he took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke the bread and gave it to his disciples saying, Take this and eat this. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of all that I gave on the cross for you. And in the same way, he took the cup of the new covenant, sealed in his blood, shed for the forgiveness of all your sins. You hear that? For the forgiveness of all your sins. On the cross, once and for all, set free. The curtain is torn. Forgiveness, set free. Full embracing, no separation, just full embrace of of God the Father. He says, do it in remembrance of me. When we eat the bread, when we drink the cup, we then, we together become preachers and we preach his saving death until he comes again. Friends, this, this is an incredible gift. Nothing can ever separate you from the love of God. So come, receive today. In Jesus' name. the curtain is torn in two from top to bottom so receive the blessing may you go and enjoy the presence of God the Father enjoy the presence of Jesus Christ enjoy the presence of the Holy Spirit who is with you now and forever